Hi friends, welcome to The Trauma Tapes. I'm Dr. MC McDonald, a PhD trauma researcher and life coach. It is my goal in life to reframe the way that we understand trauma. And I think if we want to understand trauma, we need more stories, more examples, an archive of trauma stories. But not just an archive where someone lays their story down for posterity and walks away, an archive that gives them something back, some attunement, some empathy, a reframe, integration, maybe some little piece of knowledge or understanding so that they walk away feeling like the thing that makes the least sense in their lives makes just a little more sense. This podcast is that archive. I'm here with my sister, Elizabeth Meadows. Each week, we read your letters and give you information and advice about how to understand and demystify your experiences and symptoms so that you can heal without shame. So pull up a chair, grab a coffee, and join us. Okay. Is this episode 26 or 25? 26. 26. Okay. We have to talk about PJs. <laughs> Okay, that's one of my favorite subjects these days. We're gonna create a post <laughs> with links because people commented more about PJs than any other thing we've ever talked about. Oh, do they need like ideas? Because yeah, we have lots like, of ideas. How irresponsible of you to talk oh, about? Oh no. <laughs> okay. Okay. So I was thinking like of different price points because I have we've both we've talked about. This is, by the way, we don't have sponsors, so this is not an ad, but we both had Lunia, which are kind of top of the price range. And then um, what are those ones? Is it Quince or One Quince? I never, I think it's Quince, but the website is One Quince. Oh, okay. Yeah. Which I love. Which are like the dupe. Yes. Which are better than the Lunia ones. Yeah. I found the sizing weird, but I should try again. And You need to try again. I think that was like a one-off. Okay. I think I just ordered more from them. I'm obsessed. Miss tag. Okay. And then um, I tried Up West. Have you seen that? No. They have a Lunia pant that's very similar to Lunia pant, but it's like satin and it's $28. Oh, okay. And then um, I just got my new recent one is Print Fresh, which was also kind of like mid or low price range, but awesome, really like delightful summer prints and like great fabric. Plus they sent you like an extra little tote bag as a free gift. And I love that stuff. Um, just, do they have like sets or is it just pants? And They have both. So you can get sets or you can get separates. Okay. It's, I, have I like my- the sets. I, yeah. I like to not think about it. I know to match. Totally. I just bought a quince robe. And I apologize if it's one quince. We'll figure it out and put the yeah. right thing. Um, it's a waffle knit robe. It's $49, which every other one you look at is 100, 120, 180, 200. Yeah. It's lightweight. It's the best thing that's ever happened. I'm away from home. I brought it with me and like, oh my I God. cannot <laughs> stop wearing it. It's fabulous. Bringing it on vacation is like, that's like, that's how you know that you love it. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. The other ones we have to talk about is Cozy Earth, which I've told you about, which I like a lot. You do? Didn't they take like six years to get yeah. to you? Okay. Yes, they do. They take a very long time to get to you, but they're um, that bamboo knit. So oh. like they're super, like the fabric is like cooling when you have it on, which is really nice. They have sheets too, which I'm tempted by, but I haven't done yet. Oh, the best sheets are the parachute sheets by far. 
I like Brooklinen. I haven't done parachute yet. They're the best like I've ever. It's like out of control. <laughs> I'm addicted. I can never go back. I know. Isn't it crazy? It is crazy. But that stuff, like we talk about this, like I think the reason why people like are picking up on all this stuff and why this stuff went kind of through the roof during the pandemic is that that stuff sometimes is kind of all you have, you know, <laughs> these little things all, that we talk yeah. about sometimes yeah. really the foundation. Yeah. And I feel like as we strip down too, in a way that like where you figure out that you need less stuff, yeah. you know, like less outfits, less, you know, going out clothes, less office stuff like that the pajamas loungewear becomes more important in a way. And you have, you value like the quality of it over the quantity, you know? Right. I also, I'm, I'm so in love with these like disruptors, you know, my whole career was retail, most mm-hmm. of it luxury retail. So, you know, I'm well aware of how much it costs to make something yep. um, and what the market will bear and, and, terms of what people will pay for things so i you know i've been talking to you about the somersault bathing suits which are a fraction of the price of designer swimwear um and and the the quality is just awesome and i i've just i feel like i only want to shop from these disruptors now because i feel like they do such a great job um it's exciting it's exciting that that retail is kind of being turned on its edge a little bit totally that's the whole thing with quince right they do the they do the price comparison on their website and you can see they're like okay so these lunia pjs this is why they're so expensive and here's us and this is what we do and this is right. why we're charging you know one third of the price that they do right for right. the literal same fabric like from the same place <laughs> right it is from the same place there are only so many mills like uh-huh. they're they're it, it, they come from the same place it's yep. astounding yep. And I really believe the quality of the Quince stuff is better than the Lunia. Like when yeah. you wash it and, you know, dry it, it comes out better. So the Lunia stuff is a little heartbreaking because it's, I'm really hard on everything. Lisa used to joke that I should be a product tester because I just beat the hell out of absolutely <laughs> everything that I own. Cause I love it so much. It's like a, a Lenny from mice and men. Um, but the Lunia ones I w- I'm obsessed with, they're like, they make you feel like a rock star, but yep. they don't, they don't hold up. They start to yep. fall apart and it's. For that price, they need to hold up a hundred percent more than a year for that. Like, oh my god, yeah, Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you always made me think of the um, what was it, the Samsonite luggage ad with the gorilla? (laughs) That's me. (laughs) (laughs) It's good. If Mac has it, you know that it's good, you know that it will last. I can tell you, Lisa can tell you about the quality in the market and all the like background. And I can tell you like if, how long you can have it before it falls apart. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to be as hard as possible on it. Then. Right. Stretch to its limits. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Too funny. That was funny. Um, we just lost like all of our male listeners. <laughs> Sorry. I, I have some male disruptor stuff too. We can okay. put that out there too. Okay. We'll put links up on Instagram so you guys can see all the things. Honest reviews because nobody is paying us to do this. Exactly. Did you do your exercises this week? I did. Did you? Yep. (laughs) What did you notice? You go first. I noticed that Tetris is a real problem. Thank you. Um, (laughs) Meaning an addictive problem? It's an addictive problem. And I 
love the idea of it until the game starts to speed up and then I literally want to throw the fucking phone out the window. <laughs> it gets me so agitated. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> I like the puzzle solving. I like the spatial relations. I like putting it together. I like all that. And you're just plugging along, doing your thing, like being successful. And then the thing starts to go crazy fast and you're like, I- I'm going to die right now. <laughs> it's like, it just, it did not help me <laughs> or it helped me to a point. <laughs> womp, womp. <laughs> womp, womp. But did you notice, like, were you feeling calm before that happened and then it flips into it? Or are you just like agitated the whole time? Like, I hate this and I'm going to lose. No, I felt calm before it happened. And then as soon as it, I just, I turn off the game when it starts to speed up too much. Yeah. You know, which makes me think like puzzles or like, the, yeah. I, I just need to tweak it a little bit. Like I, oh, the concept works for me. Yeah. Um, it's, it's definitely more time invested than the breathing, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. it takes longer to calm down. Yeah. Um, but I, but I get it. Yeah. It makes yeah. sense. Yeah. It's, um, you can play, there's a game called 1010 that is okay. very similar to a Tetris style in terms of like you're moving blocks around and like deleting lines kind of thing. So the spatial relation thing is there, there's some like color to it. So it'll distract your visual field. Um, but it's not a timed thing. Okay. You can run out of space and lose, but it doesn't like increase speed. Cause I imagine that you're not the only person that feels that way about Tetris. And if it's creating more stress, even if it's a different kind of stress, you're still activating and the goal is to calm down. So it's super important to like, notice that. Yeah. It's funny how you can like, like I was pausing the game to take like a second and I, you know, I was trying to come up with all these like workarounds and then I was like, okay, this just, this isn't the right tool for you, you know? So move on. (laughs) Or it could be like, if you're super stressed out, you might notice if you try it, that you're actually not amped by it. Right. Like it could be the right tool in a certain situation and the wrong tool in another situation. This is why this is so important to do this and like talk about what happened because there is no one size fits all. You need a whole toolbox and not every tool is going to be the appropriate thing in every situation. And so yeah. knowing like, okay, Tetris is great for me if I'm in this situation, but not in this other one is that's even more, that's m- more data than anyone has. You know what I mean? Yeah. Interesting. Really interesting. But the, like for what I was experiencing this week, the breathing was much, much better because it was instant and it was, you know, yeah. I know that you said, I, I don't know if you said it or some, or you were quoting someone that you're only three breaths away from feeling better. I think yes. someone, I think you quoted somebody I mean, that's um, me. and, and that's, oh, that's you. Okay. Yeah. You're so smart. Um, <laughs> then it's that, that is absolutely true. Yep. Yep. I noticed that immediately. I, I had a, I, so I play Tetris all the time. This is like a, both of these things are tools I use all the time, but I was really like trying to take note this week and use them more intentionally. And I was noticing like, I am an amped human being <laughs> and the breathing is like a way to get more sustainable energy, right? So this is not even about panic or, or anxiety or trauma. This is like, how do you keep your energy level stable through the day? And I was trying yeah. to like take three deep breaths in between each thing that I had, each meeting, each session, each whatever I was doing. Um, and it was just like this kind of coming back in and like grounding, like, okay. Whew. And then you go on to the next thing, which is, it, it felt like hitting a reset button. You know what I mean? Yeah. I felt that way too, that it was, it was just kind of taking me off the path that I was on. 
in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever path that is, right? Like, right, right. I was, I was kind of experiencing some like chest tightness um, on a couple different occasions. And it really, all it took was those three deep breaths to kind of get me out of that, which was fascinating. And, and like you being kind of hyper aware of um, those tools and, and when you use those tools, you kind of realize th- that your baseline is a little yep. frenetic. Yep. 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 <laughs> Cause we don't go inward. We don't like, in, we, it's the people, how are you doing? I'm doing good Me, because I'm checking boxes. I'm doing, I'm getting stuff done. I don't, we don't check in with ourselves about how it actually feels. Right. So it's like, oh, okay, wow. I feel really amped. Like I, every time I do that with a class and I'm like, okay, take note of your body. And then I do it myself. I'm like, wow, like chill. <laughs> I know. Cause I'm just so like, blah, like you gotta say all the things, and, you know? I know. I know. Take a breath. Like it's, and I, it's funny that you, that you said that sentence. Cause it, it, I could be quoting someone. If I am, it's, I forget, I forgot who it was. I just like internalized it. But I think that was just something I said off the cuff and that sentence kind of rang through my head. It was just like, just take, you know, you're three, three breaths away from feeling different. You know, you're stuck in traffic. You're three breaths away. You're stressed out at work at a meeting. You're three breaths away. Not that it's going to solve everything, but just that it's going to be different after those three breaths. Yeah. And it is markedly different. Yeah, totally. it, It was for me. So two like very different tools with very different outcomes. Yeah. And you might also be going back to your Tetris thing. It's so funny because I have the complete opposite. Like that's when I like kind of sink into my chair and like really actually relax is when I'm doing Tetris. And I did that a bunch of times, especially this weekend. I was feeling super like stressed and, you know, agitated. And like, I'm like, okay, just play 10 minutes, like literally set a timer for 10 minutes and just play Tetris for 10 minutes. And then it's just like, I just like sink in and I'm like, okay. I'm fine. You know, this so it's funny that you feel amped, but if you're feeling low energy and you use it, it might actually bring your energy up in a positive way. You know what I mean? Do you like get it? Do you get competitive at all? Like, do you feel like I have to get a certain score? No, you no. take all, all that out of that. Yeah. I, I just don't, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't understand it when people are competitive. I don't, I don't like get that. <laughs> I know yeah. that sounds like ignorant, but I just don't, I don't feel that way. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I always feel like I like I do it with solitaire that I have to like beat my last high score and yeah. I can stop playing. Yeah. <laughs> kind of bizarre, right? At least I just made a face like, is there pathology here? <laughs> What's happening? I'm sure there is. When you when you start paying attention to yourself, the results can be alarming. <laughs> <laughs> you can get a lot worse before you get better. <laughs> it turns out. Well, you know, I, I think you have to recognize it to get better. And until yeah. you start paying attention, you can't recognize it. But it's it's a little eye-opening. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. It's humbling. I find it humbling whenever I do. Very. Yeah. Yeah. Like, wow. Okay. That's a thing. Hmm. Yeah. That's the perfect word, humbling. <laughs> Funny. Oh. Okay. So I, I set those up that way on purpose because I wanted us on purpose right away to use one top-down and one bottom-up regulator. So the reason Tetris works works is because you're manually, um, you know, reassigning energy flow in your brain, which then calms your body theoretically. And then bottom up is when you're using your body, when you're taking those deep breaths, you're activating the parasympathetic response and bringing a calm into your body. And so today I want to talk more just about top-down regulation. 
to be completely honest, I always kind of, um, I'm going to try to be even about this. Like we'll do bottom up next week, but I'm a top down. I'm more comfortable in the top down regulation because I intellectualize. I'm much more comfortable in my brain than in my body. And that just comes easier to me. But first we need to get like buy-in and belief that we actually can regulate our body through our mind. Right. So we're going to do a little thought experiment. Ready? Yep. Okay. So <laughs> I want you to imagine I got this from, um, oh my God, the guy's name. Um, this is a, I'll, I'll remember in a minute. His name is Dan something. And I'll remember in a minute. Um, so I want you to think about like, close your eyes and think about a cutting board in the kitchen okay. with, and there's like a, a little bowl of lemons next to the cutting board. Okay. Try to just like visualize that as clearly as you possibly can. Like think about what the counter looks like and like feel yourself sort of standing in front of the counter, feel your feet on the ground. Think about the cutting board. Is it wood? Is it marble? Is it plastic? What is it? And then what, how many lemons are in the bowl? What color is the bowl? Like think about it as vividly as possible. And now I want you to imagine taking a lemon out of the bowl and putting it on the cutting board and taking a huge knife and cut the lemon right in half. And there's sunshine coming through the room. So you can see that like the, the lemon is really ripe and it starts to like bead up. There's like that lemon, the little lemon juices are, are starting to like come out of the cut sides and take a huge, like deep smell of the lemon smell. Now imagine picking up one of the halves of the lemon and taking a huge bite. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Gross. Yep. And like grind it around in your teeth, like really get like Ooh. lemon taste. <laughs> okay. Now you can open your eyes. So as you went through that, those steps, did you notice an increase of saliva in your mouth? Yes. You just changed your biochemistry with a thought. Wow. What you think about changes and dictates what's happening in your body. We don't think that the two things are connected, right? We think that like our psychology exists on this upper higher plane and our body is this like thing to be controlled and regulated down here and they're separate. Right. But they are connected. <laughs> they are engaged. So what you focus on, like when you ruminate on negative and stressful thoughts, you're changing your biochemistry. You're changing what's happening in your body. You're generating stress hormones. Yeah. I'm thinking you're, you're probably changing the way you hold yourself. Like your shoulders are probably oh, scrunched yeah. up and you're like muscular, musculature. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Wow. You brace, you brace for whatever your, you know what I mean? Impact. And it doesn't matter if you're stressed about a fucking spreadsheet, your body just knows how to either be stressed or not stressed. It's not like, oh, spreadsheet stress is less. So I'll just make my muscles a little bit stronger. It's just everything tenses as if you are going to have impact, as if there's going to be an injury. There's only one yeah. way that the body responds to stress. It's crazy, right? That's amazing. And so sometimes I think when we, we ruminate and we let ourselves ruminate and we pretend and we think, because we're taught this, that we have to believe all of our thoughts. And then we feel like crap all the time. And we don't know why we feel like crap. Well, it's like, well, you're creating an internal fountain of stress which is then cascading through your body and causing tightness and constriction and pain and stomach aches. And, you know, I taught a class this morning. This is my first class of summer school. And 
Um, I was like too nervous. I, you still get, you could teach like 600 million classes and you still get like first day of school nerves. And, um, so I didn't eat anything and I just had coffee and then was like, you know, spent the whole class trying to wonder if like there was actually going to be a hole burned through my torso <laughs> <laughs> or if it just felt that way because it was like, you know, yeah, <laughs> but you, you don't have to believe your, your negative stressful thoughts. You don't have to, we actually have more control over that than we think we do. Yeah. But we have to at first believe that we do, that the two are connected. So that's why I took you through that sort of terrible lemon. <laughs> it was good until the tasting part. <laughs> You're like, Oh, this is lovely. This is nice. Right. I always imagine myself like in the barefoot Contessa's like Hampton's beautiful kitchen. And oh, like- that's a good one. The freshest lemons and like, yeah, the the white, white cabinets bowl. and that beautiful, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's about to be a fabulous dinner party with her and her husband, whose name I can't remember. Jeffrey. Jeffrey. I was going to say Dennis. They're adorable. Anyway, sidetrack. Um, okay, so I want to talk about top-down regulation using our thoughts, but not with lemons. This is how you stop rumination. You do not have to go down the ruminative roller coaster every single time it passes through your consciousness. Like that is, you do not have to follow the ruminative thought, but you think you do. And so you just like sort of let go into it and you let yourself ruminate and ruminate and ruminate. But if you stop the train and like ask the thought some questions, it can change the way you think. And when you change the way you think, you change the way you feel in your body. This is the basis of cognitive behavioral therapy. This is a very like long established thing, but the way that I find a lot of traction in this kind of realm is by using Byron Katie's four questions. Okay. She has this whole thing. She has her most recent book is called the mind of at home in itself or something like that. Her whole thing is about um, using your thought patterns to change your life. And the, the most fundamental part of her work is what she calls the work, which is the four questions. So I'll go through the four questions and we can use some examples. So the first one is, is it true? Right. So that random ruminative thought that just like flew into your consciousness, is it true? Usually the answer to that is like, I don't know, maybe I think so. I'm worried that it is right. The Mm -hmm. second one is, can you absolutely know it's true? Like, would you bet the life of a loved one on it? Are you that sure? Usually the answer there is no, that no creates just a tiny little bit of space to question and, and like, look at that thought or that idea critically. Okay. The third question is how do you react? What happens when you believe that thought, right? So typically negative stuff happens when you believe that thought. And then fourth is who would you be without that thought? which is, you know, how would your life change if you, if you, if that rumination shifted or went away, or if you simply didn't believe it and just kind of noticed that it passed by ruminative ruminative thoughts are super normal. And they're just a part of like a human function, right? Um, Inside out did a great job of this when they did the little thing with the marbles coming down with the, like the like double mint jingle that just like pops into your head. That's basically an intrusive thought. It doesn't cause distress. You might get like annoyed or find it hilarious, but it's not, there's no distress that comes with it because it's just, it's just a commercial jingle that you're talking about. Um, But it's the very same thing with a ruminative thought that looks like, or an intrusive thought that looks like I should be ashamed of myself or I'm a bad person. And the distress doesn't actually come from the thought. It comes from the fact that we believe it. 
And the the whole thing behind Byron Katie's work is to to show you that you don't actually have to believe your thoughts. That's revolutionary. I know, right? So I want to use, so yeah. I'll, I'll put myself up as a, as a, on the chopping block to do this because I do. So I struggle often with this idea of like, whether I'm a good person, I think this is just part of like growing up Catholic or I don't know what, but when you have that passing thought, you know, what if I'm a bad person, right? What if I'm a bad person? Typically that just spirals and it turns into, let me find the most, the closest 800 pieces of proof that I'm a bad person. And so I'll find every little single detail, every example of something where I feel like I let somebody down or where I feel like my motivations weren't like totally selfless or whatever. And I'll, then that becomes proof. And then I build up this whole idea. And then I, then, then I just spiral. Okay. So I am a bad person. What does that mean? What's going to become of me? How do I get out of this? I can't possibly blah, 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 all this other stuff. If I just stop and notice and say, I have this passing thought, I'm a bad person. Is that true? I don't know. I feel like it is sometimes, right? Is it true? I feel like it is. Okay. Next question. Can I absolutely know that it's true? Here's where things start to unravel. And this works very well with my philosophical mind. (laughs) Um, Absolute knowledge is not, I know, I can't absolutely know that I'm true. I don't know who decides who is a good person and who's a bad person or what the scale is or what that even means, you know? who are we accounting to? You know what I mean? So that starts to create a little bit of space. Can I absolutely know that it's true? Well, no, I can't absolutely know that it's true. How do you react and what happens when you believe that thought? I play small. When I believe that I'm a bad person, I play small with clients in meetings, with friends, with people in my life I care about. Like I don't show up fully because I'm worried that I'm a bad person. Right. And that's not fair to them or me. And it doesn't give a good experience. And it means I'm not fully in the moment and all that stuff. And then who would I be without that thought? The first thing that comes up is just like liberated, you know, like free. I would be just free to like, just be engaged without worrying that I'm making a a mortal mistake, you know? So it really shifts and changes the whole experience of the thought. And then what I notice in my body is that it's completely different, right? So like the, the, I wasn't even paying attention to this before, but when I have the spiral about whether I'm a bad person, um, I start to get tense and brace in my body. I start to get activated. My heart rate starts to go up. I start to get like, oh shit, you know, there's that feeling of you're going to be called out or found out or whatever. When I start to question it, I haven't even, it's not like I come to the end of this and I've decided I'm a good person and I never have to think about this again. It's just that I realize that this thought isn't actually fact. It's a judgment. And so I can then separate myself from it. And I notice that there's t- that once I do that, who would I be without that thought? All it just, that creates not just freedom in the way that I'm thinking, but also like in the way that I feel in my body is totally different. I think one of the most interesting and important things about it is that we we tend to swing back and forth from one extreme to the other. So when I get stuck in a, in a rumination about whether I'm a bad person, it, it, it feels like I have to decide for once and for all, am I bad or am I good? And that isn't really realistic because we don't arrive that way in our thought processes, right? We don't, that's the world isn't that black and white. And so the, the inner landscape of our minds isn't either. And so if I'm able to leave space of, around the thought and ask myself, 
okay, is that absolutely true? And what does it mean when I believe that? I see that it has negative effects in my life in the moment. And then I can take some space away from it and think, okay, well, there's actually freedom there. And so if I don't, if I'm not going to know absolutely whether I'm a good or a bad person, I can know that I will live a better life. I have a better chance of being a better person if I have space and freedom and if I'm not shaming myself. So it's not about um, ever trying to recognize what that trigger is because that's not important. It's just that here I go, I'm on the roller, I'm about to get on the roller coaster. I'm in the line. I have my ticket ready. Yep. Okay. Totally. Okay. And I mean, I think there's a point at which you could go into the trigger and kind of take that apart and figure out what that shame is about. But the more important thing, the bleed, right? It's more important to address the the wound at the bleed is, okay, you're spiraling into shame and that's affecting the way you are in this moment. So you got a thing from the past that's intruding into the present and it's messing up what you're doing. It's getting in your way. And so if you can stop that and just kind of take the charge out of it, it changes it. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Then you, you, <laughs> you don't get on the ride and you go get some cotton candy. <laughs> exactly. And you sit on a bench and you hang out and tell jokes. You and okay. I love that. Get an ice cream cone, extra okay. sprinkles. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Cause I think we don't, we, you know, there's a lot of like stuff out there right now about identifying your shame and identifying your inner critic, but then it's like, okay, what the hell do I do with it right now that I know that it's here? I just know, you know, I just notice it more. Yeah. And I like that. It's not trying to investigate, not beating yourself up for why it's happening, which 100%. I think that's what I do. Like, why am I thinking this way? Which is yeah. like just adding like shame on top of shame. Totally. Right. Okay. I was talking last night about in a class about, um, like anniversaries, you know, you'll have this, like all this intellectual knowledge about grief and like, you've done all this processing and all this other stuff. And then the anniversary comes and absolutely takes you out at your knees. And it's like you, the first thing that you do is say, how come I haven't healed? What is wrong with me? Why am I feeling this way? I thought I was over it, blah, 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 judgment, shame, judgment, shame, judgment, shame. You're just like digging yourself a grave, getting in it and then putting the dirt back on. Right. Like, right if you're able to stop and just say like, Oh, there's some grief here. I feel, I feel this in my body. I feel like I haven't healed. Wait a second. Is that true? I don't know. Maybe. Can I know that it's true? Well, I don't know. What does healing actually mean? How do you react when you believe you haven't healed? Well, I'll beat the crap out of myself and I feel worse. And I end up in bed for four days instead of two. Okay. Who would you be without that thought? Well, uh, someone kind and gentle to myself. That would be amazing. Right. Someone who caretakes my own experience. That's great. Shame is the biggest boulder in the way of healing trauma. Shame feels like a way to like try to avoid the pain, but actually creates more pain. It's it's like a it's like a very uneven exchange because I think you like internalize there's something weirdly satisfying about the belief that it's all your fault because it's less scary than thinking that the world is terrifying. If it's all my fault, I just need to figure out what I did wrong and then I can avoid it forever and ever and everything will be fine. And I also don't have to deal with the fact that I might've caused pain to somebody else, right? So it's all my fault. Then I just have to live in this endless pain forever and ever. There's a lot of protection and defensiveness that comes with that, even though it's painful. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. Okay. It's exhausting. Do we want to go through like another example? I don't know if I can come up with one off the top of my head. I'm trying to think of like letter writers. You know, most of our letter writers, I think like the thing that they have in common is that I'm, I'm, I'm obsessed with this 
this thing from the Oprah book, um, Oprah and Dr. Perry's book, what, um, what happened to you? She talks about how every single person, I think she talked about this in the podcast too, and Brandon Brown, every single person she's ever interviewed from Beyonce, Barack Obama to like Joe Schmo on the street, whatever, always turns to her after an interview and says, did I do okay? Yeah. And she like laughs at that. And she's like, you're fucking Barack Obama. Like, what do you mean? Of course you did. Right. Goddamn president of the United States. <laughs> like, Right. But we have this, like, we share in common this need to be validated. And I think when it comes to the trauma field, it's like, am I okay? And that can mean a different thing. That could mean a thousand different things. Am I okay? Like, is this going to be, am I going to make it? And also, like, do I need to continue believing that there's something wrong with me fundamentally? And this is why my life looks like this. That's a whole nother battle, you know? Yeah. I'm thinking of the... um the letter writer that wrote like so vividly about her childhood and her, she was kind of like, how, you know, how, how do I heal? I feel like I've done all the things and she had grown up like in a trailer and her parents had done the best. She had done all this integrative work to kind of see her parents in this best light. And it was still like, well, when will I relationally be okay? When will I stop bringing this stuff into my relationships? When will I, when will I be able to attach like securely you know, yeah. that question has a deep shame belief underneath it, which is that I am unworthy of love and incapable of attachment. This is why these fucking labels are so dangerous. When you run around calling yourself avoidant, CPTSD, whatever label you're attaching to yourself, your brain is listening. And then it's going to offer that up as proof later for your shame roller coaster. <laughs> you know? Right. Oh, here's right. another thing to throw in there. Here's another thing, right? I'm unlovable or I'm unworthy of love and I'm incapable of attachment. Is that true? Can you absolutely know that it's true? How do you react? What do your relationships look like when you believe that thought? When you believe you're incapable of attachment, what kind of relationships do you have? Mm-hmm. Not good ones, probably, right? Right. And then who would you be without that thought opens you into this aspirational identity thing where you start to dream like, man, I would be able to be present with other people. I would be able to feel everything with them fully without panic. You know, I'd be able to like love without fear and connect wholeheartedly. And when, when you start dreaming that, then it starts to become possible. So fascinating that there are, um, that it's not just what happened to you. It's what What you you do with what happened to you. And the, the maladaptive, you yeah. know, so uh, that Paul Conti um, yeah. podcast that you recommended that, you know, I've now listened to four times, like yeah. The, yeah. the maladaptive child, you know, who's, yeah. who had something terrible happen to them and is now moving through the world with a set of beliefs um, yeah. that could potentially undermine. Not potentially all, will. Yeah. All connections, all relationships, all experiences. Yep. I mean, it's really, there's, it's not what happened to you. It's what you did with what happened to you. Well, it's just, it's not, it's, it's what happened to you. And then what that means to you. Right. Right. Because all of your experiences like stamp your world with meaning. And then that meaning like in your passport, you know, gets, it stays there. Right. Right. So if, if you were, 
neglected as a child, for example, and you had a very like robust community around you that supported you anyway, even though you weren't getting stuff in your home, you probably carry this pain meaning and also a meaning that other people are trustworthy and will be there when you need them. Yeah. It depends. It, everything stamps your life with meaning. And then that meaning you carry with you and you can reevaluate and change what they mean. That's where we have power, but like, it's, it's, you're totally right. It's not just what happened to you. It's what it means to you. Yeah. I, I love that idea of the exercise because it just kind of dismantles the, those beliefs quickly totally. yeah. and efficiently. Yeah. And I think we yeah. just, we create too much of a like leap for ourselves when we think we have to get to the other thought. Right. So like I, right. if my goal is to to believe without question that I'm a good person. Like that's just not realistic. That's never going to happen. Part of what it means to be human is to question yourself. So yeah. I, that's always going to be there, but I can change radically the experience of the thought. If I take a tiny little step away and look at it critically. And again, like this isn't just to change your thoughts, to change your thoughts so that your mind becomes this like pretty little garden of only nice little flowers. Right. It's so that this changes your body. Right. This is top down regulation. You're using your thoughts, your intellect to change your biochemistry. It's huge. It is huge. Why don't we teach this shit in school? <laughs> I don't know. It's Can you so imagine if you learn this like in fourth grade? No. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And that it's we like could a life then, raft. Totally. You know? And that we could then all do that for each other too. So when you saw, you know, your friend on the playground be- beating themselves up, you could say, Hey, wait, is yeah. that true? <laughs> right. <laughs> Can you absolutely? I have some questions for you. Right. <laughs> Little boy. <laughs> or to be precise. Yep. <laughs> okay. So we'll, we'll do that this week. Yep. What? <laughs> and report back. Yep. Okay. So the first step is actually to identify what to question, right? So like you have to kind of think about where you're critical of yourself. If you think you're not, you're wrong. <laughs> Like I just, (laughs) (laughs) if you think you're not, you're full of shit. My bullshit detector is going off. No, because I would have said that I'm talking to myself because I would have said that if I was, you know, in therapy in 2008 or whatever. And my therapist had said like, do you have, are you self-critical? And I would be like, no, course not fucking false 100% right I have an army of inner critics it's like a whole like regime they organize themselves yeah they're remarkably skilled aren't they they? (laughs) (laughs) they march in at like midnight and they just take over but it doesn't have to be big things you don't have to do this with like big like um you know huge shame things to start you can try it out with like when you try to make a recipe and it fails and you're like, I'm an idiot. I can, I'm not an adult. I've noticed this actually as a critical thought that happens to me like super frequently. I'm not an adult. I can't be an adult. I'm not an adult. What the hell is that about? That's funny. You say that. Cause sometimes like that, that crosses my mind too. And I'm like way an adult, like, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> um, but like when I, when I see people my age through who have certain like, like grown children, I'm like, how do they do that? Like, right. <laughs> which is like insane. That's what people do. You know, why do you think you're any different? But yeah, no, I I have that same thing. It's so weird. Yeah. 
And it's a, it's a super, like, I don't know. I have to like think more about it. I don't know where it comes from, but it is a, it, it's like a dagger and it's over. It's always over something dumb. Like I forget the trash day. So I don't take the trash out or something like that. Or like, I forget to go to the grocery store. And so I have like half as much food as I should for the week. And like nothing that's like a big deal. You know, I'm not like failing at life or whatever, but I like, I'm merciless about, and I'm like, you're, you know, my inner monologue is like, I can't believe you're such a failure. Like what poor excuse for an adult. You can't even remember the fucking trap. Like just, and it's like, Oh dude. Yeah. That's harsh. It is harsh. It is harsh. And it's, I think it's like, it's more common to be kind of those, those little thoughts. It's like a little background soundtrack. You know, you don't really tune into it. It's just, it's there. So you might not think that you have an inner critic. It's just that it's in the background. Yeah. I think I told you last week, I don't know if we we were recording at this point, but again, that Paul Conti um, podcast, like he described it, he was talking about a patient and he's, I think he was talking about a patient, but he said, it's like someone who really doesn't like you following you around and telling you you're a piece of shit all day long, which for some reason that made so much more sense to me because then it wasn't my own inner critic that I had to manage. It it took it out of my own head, but it was like, that was, that was life-changing for me that to think of it that way. Yeah. And you know, I've heard this concept for years, but um, you know, the gremlin inside your head and all these things and all these books, but that description like really hit it home for me. Yeah. Why do you think? Because it, it, it made it more um, tangible for yeah, me yeah. because it, it, then it took it off my list of something I had to correct in myself. Yeah. Right. Does right. that make sense? Totally. Cause you, yeah, you go into like, uh, like observer you're like, oh, that's interesting. Instead of like at war with yourself already. Yeah. Like, oh, now I do this too. Like, oh, right. great. I'll just cool. add that to the list of things I have to work on. It's like, no, there's another, there's another being like chasing yeah. me around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Harassing you know? me and taking me down. Yeah. That is by the way, a great, a writer that I know sent me that podcast. And I was like walking around, like doing errands, like no big deal. And I like, I had to like stop in the street and yeah. listen because it was that like life-changing and I have it like permanently open on my phone. Um, I do too. I, I keep going back to it. And then I like yeah. mark the time where I end and then I yeah. go back. It's, it's unbelievable. It's actually. Peter Atia's um, podcast and it's, um, or Atia, I don't know how to pronounce his name. Um, I think it's Atia, but it's um, shout out to Colin. Thank you for sending that to me. Um Paul Conti actually has a book coming out this year on trauma with sounds true. Oh, great. Okay. Yeah. So, um, it's a, we'll, we'll put a link to it somewhere. It's, it's like life-changing and they just do such a beautiful job talking about it. And he also, one of them has like bronchitis or something crazy. And he has this very like gravelly, interesting voice. And it makes you listen harder. (laughs) Totally does. Yeah. You're trying to hear. Yeah. There were so many things that, um, there aren't many people that I would follow, like if they told me to jump off a bridge, but if he yeah. told me to jump off a bridge, I'd be like, okay, there must be a good reason for it. You know, yeah. like everything yeah. he says is just, uh, just was such an aha moment. It was yeah. really fantastic. Yeah. It's like an hour and a half. And I actually have been thinking about like transcribing it so that I can have all the words to look at. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's a good idea. Because I'm I, I can help you with that. <laughs> I like transcription is kind of fun. Okay. So we have our homework. We have our homework. Yep. So top down regulation, do the four questions, report back. It's going to be interesting. Yeah. And then next week we'll go back to bottom up regulation. Okay. 
Perfect. Okay. Do you have a tiny little joy? Yeah, my tiny little joy is uh, peppermint patties. (laughs) (laughs) Which always make me think of you because you always like seem to have like a big bowl of them. Um, And I got off them for a long time and recently have gotten back onto them and they are just so happy and joyful. I've not had a peppermint patty in like five years. I'm going to buy some today. (laughs) You have to. It's just such a little like delight. I, it, you know, it, put them in the freezer. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's the best when it's hot out. Yeah. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> yeah. I used to, I had it. This actually started because this is mom's fault. She went to Costco. This is when I had my, one of my first jobs in New York. And I had this, I was working in human resources and um, we had these cube desks, obviously. And she went and bought me a big box of everyone had candy on their desk. And that was like their thing. And so um, I, she bought me one of those huge boxes of the little snack size peppermint patties. And then oh, I yeah? quickly everyone's favorite person to visit in the office because I had peppermint patties. And then I just got obsessed with them and kept them everywhere in my purse and stuff. It's that such like a, a little like refreshing, delightful to read. Totally. The job where they nicknamed me Mary Catherine cookies in her purse. Cause I always had some kind of like <laughs> snack. Is that when you had that Kate Spade bag? I can picture this. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, Mary Catherine cookies in her purse. will have some. Cause you get New York is relentless and you get stuck places. And I had a fainting problem at the time and I fainted on the subway and that's doctor, right. Yeah. The doctor was like, your blood pressure is too low. You need to like keep snacks. That was survival. They were, like, they were like, you can either drink um, salt water or like eat potato chips. Um, okay. <laughs> it's going to be a tough one, doc. Let me, let me think about it. <laughs> but I guess my salt levels were too low. So it's causing me to faint. So it was, it was doctor's orders, but now I always still have cookies in my purse. It's a good trait. Yep. <laughs> What's your tiny little joy? Um, oh my God. I just forgot it. Oh, it was, it's that it's honestly like, this is going to sound so silly, but this morning, so I've been staying up too late because that's my style. And, um, I had to teach this morning, like kind of early and I was worried about it last night. Cause I had to like teach and, you know, you have to like make sense and like, look like human. You can't just like sit in the corner of your couch, scrunched up in your PJs. Like I usually do. <laughs> and, um, I kind of had this realization at like one in the morning that like, I could just not shower and teach in my PJ pants. So I would get like a whole extra hour of sleep because I just have to look like an, an adult. <laughs> I don't have to actually be one, you know? For, oh, from the waist up, you mean? Like you yeah, have to totally. Oh, okay. So I look like I like a professor, but I'm wearing my PJ pants underneath. So that was like a negotiation you did with yourself. Oh, totally. And it was like <laughs> as soon as I did that, I was like, woohoo, like I felt like I got away with something, you know? <laughs> Uh-huh, I'm going to teach my PJ pants and nobody knows. <laughs> so I know everyone's like a thousand percent sick of zoom, but like teaching with your PJ pants is the best. That's a new, a new joy, right? Yeah, yeah totally. Like I'm not, I love it. Yeah. It's my tiny little joy. <laughs> it gave me a new lease on life. And then I think it made my sleep better. Cause I was like, relaxed, you know? Yeah. Cause you made the decision and then you, you, it made you happy and yeah. it also like took some pressure off. Totally. Totally. And, and you knew you'd be getting away with something. So right. it, it made you a little mischievous too in the moment. <laughs> exactly. Which then makes me more fun in class as a teacher. It's great. 
See, it's a win-win. <laughs> you just need some peppermint patties in your PJ pants and you'll be all set. I'm going to take my PJ pants to the store right now and get some peppermint patties. <laughs> this is the next thing I'm doing. <laughs> Excellent. You're so good. Okay, cool. All right, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening, guys. Come see us on um, the trauma tapes uh, on Instagram and the trauma tapes at gmail.com. If you want your story um, featured, just send us an email. Or if you want to ask questions about PJs or any of the weird stuff we talk about, we're happy to circle back. <laughs> <laughs> okay, bye. Bye.